Well, good morning. I'm glad you uh, made it in on the frozen tundra today. Uh, it's good to see you. I want, um, want you to, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4 and um, just have that ready. I want to share some other things with you. This is uh, Vision Sunday, and, and my name is Scott Luck. I'm one of the pastors here. So if you're visiting, we're really glad that you're here today. And you really get an inside look into our church and uh, kind of where God is leading us. So it's a good Sunday for you to be here. There are a couple of things I want to, I just want to update you on. First of all, they have, they have officially broken grounds on our facility expansion. So we're going to, we're adding about 7,000, uh, 8,000 square feet out to the south of the building. They have officially broken ground. I think all they did was they parked a couple of construction uh, equipment over there. So, uh, but they actually did dig a hole. So, um, so they're off and running, but um, they're a little bit behind because they were supposed to start on January 2nd, but uh, they started this week. They're really going to start moving dirt tomorrow. I think in six weeks, you're really going to see a uh, dramatic change out there. So that's really exciting. It's going to be, you know, if you're new to this, it's, it's really children's ministry space, but it's also multi-purpose. So adults and students will be able to use it as well. So uh, we're really thankful uh, that God has opened up the door for that. And really behind that is our deep and wide initiative that we started about a year ago. Uh, we're halfway through that. And so your giving goes to you know, really fund the ministries of our church. And then it also is going to fund the expansion. So the giving has been tremendous. It's record setting for our congregation. Uh, you guys are so generous and we're very thankful for that. We want to, we just want to challenge you to continue in that uh, because that's how we're paying the bills to do that. So, um, so it's really not about a building. It's about what goes on the, in the building and it's about the people in the building. And so that's what you, what you give to when you give. So, so that's exciting. We will probably be done. They're probably gonna be done with it in November-ish, uh, maybe early December. So, so that, that's gonna be, it's gonna be amazing watching this thing go up this year in 2019. So the second thing is we had scheduled to do an open house um, for Mission Hill, which is the house right next door. And let me give you a little bit of background on that. We bought that house uh, a few years ago and God just provided the money for that. And uh, we uh, really got the vision, Jeff and Cheryl Heck, they're members of our church, uh, Jeff's an elder, and uh, really got a vision for opening and starting a new ministry called Healing on the Hill. And that, that is a, um, a healthcare ministry free to the community. So what we did is we renovated Mission Hill and it is done and it is beautiful. And so our, our plan was to have an open house today so that you could go through it. And uh, because of the weather, we're just concerned about everybody getting up and down the hill because it's so icy and snowy. So we have postponed that until next Sunday. In fact, the next two Sundays, we're going to open it up and have it available for that. Um, but I saw on the weather app that I think another snowstorm is coming in next weekend too. So uh, we'll play it by ear. We want to get you in the building uh, but we're real, we're very excited about it. It's, it's just breathtaking what has happened in that, in that house. So some of you have been asking too about when does the ministry in the building start? Uh, so we're, we're not, we don't have a, a, a deadline for that yet uh, or a start date. We're, we're thinking in about six weeks, the ministry would actually start. So we're trying to get uh, still some uh, 
legal stuff taken care of and then just getting the facility acclimated so that we can launch. But, but really our goal is to just use that to share Jesus and to share the love of God with people and to minister to them and, and to invite them into the congregation so, um, but, and into the kingdom. So that's huge. So be praying about that and uh, really be um, tracking with us as we, as we uh, track with you on it. So, all right, so we're in Matthew 4. And uh, this is Vision Sunday, as I mentioned to you. You know, I really like to take a Sunday out of the year to, to answer really the questions of, you know, who are we as a church and where are we going uh, in, the, in the following year? So I'm going to share some more of some of that practical stuff about where we're going later on in the message. But uh, I, I really like doing Vision Sunday for a couple of reasons. And that's uh, really very simply, I, I, I just want um, everybody to be a part of what God is doing in this place. And so when, when the vision is clear, you can jump on board because it's like, wow, this is awesome. I can, I can play the role that God has created me to play. And so that's, what, that's one reason why we do Vision Sunday so that the vision is clear. Everybody can get on board and be a part of that. But the second reason why I do Vision Sunday is really very simple because I just believe the vision that God's given us is very compelling. You know, when you kind of think about our vision, we always describe it in the three B words, uh, belong, become, and beyond. And, um, you know, we describe it this way that, you know, belonging, we want to be a church where there's a real sense of belonging, you know, where there's a sense of love and there's, a, there's, there's community here. It's not just a service that you attend, but it, they're relationships. You have relational roots here. You have friends here. You have, you have what we call 3 a.m. friends you know, somebody that you can call at 3 a.m. and they're coming right over. That's our prayer for you. Church, that's what church is all about. And so we want to cultivate that here. And so we say it's all about belonging, but it's not just about belonging. It's also about becoming. And becoming is really growing in our faith and becoming like Jesus. And I think the vision that we have is, is that as we follow Jesus, the fruits of the Spirit are real in our characters. Like there's patience and there's joy and there's peace and there's, there's, there's growing self-control. There's, there's just a, a deepening of love and growing love. It doesn't mean everything is perfect, but what it means is God is making us perfect. Does that make sense? And so we're growing in the image of Jesus. But then there's a third part. It's not just belonging and becoming. We really want to mobilize our church to go in the community and go beyond and we describe that in two ways. That's just serving and sharing the gospel. And so when a Christian has been transformed, a Christian is enlisted into really the service of God to serve and to give away what God has given them. So we want to be a church, not where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. No, we, we want to be a church where everybody does ministry, where everybody serves and gives because everybody has unique gifts and graces for ministry. And a part of that is that where you're equipped to share the good news, to share the gospel, that, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that he is the answer to what this dark world needs. And so all of that within the confines of a body of believers who are pursuing Jesus. Does that make sense? So we just think that that's compelling, we think that's really compelling. In fact, I would, I would go a step further and say this. There is nothing in this world that you could give your life to that's, that is better than the church. Nothing. Now you just think about that for a minute. 
There is nothing in this world that's going to outlast the church. Nothing. When, when, when world history is done, when it's all been said and done, and the nations have done their thing, and, and God has brought it to his culmination, when it's all said and done, there's one thing that's going to be standing. You know what that is? It's the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. And so what that means, church, is I'm never going to apologize to you by challenging you to say the best place to invest your time, treasure, and talent is, is to invest it in something that um, will last forever. And I'll never apologize for that. And so the world kind of, we forget that. We forget how important that is. And so then the world kind of seduces us and deceives us into giving ourselves to lesser visions like our sports teams. I think I had a rough week this week. So uh, with my sports teams, Um, just our career, just making money. You know, when you die, they just give your money and your stuff away. Have you, isn't that interesting? Or just video games, watching TV. There's nothing wrong with those things. But they're not worthy of your life's investment. They're not worthy of that. And so, and so in a hundred years, none of that's going to matter. I would bet in five years, it's not going to matter. Maybe even, you know, sooner than that. So here's what I want to do today. I just want to make the vision simple. And I want to challenge you to take a step in the, in, in the vision. To take one step. That's what I want to do today. I want, my prayer is that 2019 would be the best year for you spiritually that you've ever had. And so that's my prayer. That's what we're working on. That's what we're, you know, uh, praying about and thinking about so many times. And so, uh, so that's what I want to talk about today. But first, I want to read to us a very short passage of Scripture. It's in Matthew 4. Uh, it's verses 18 through 22. I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you please stand uh, for the reading of the Word of God. So notice what Matthew writes. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going, one, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And verse 22 says, immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. This is the reading for, of God's word for God's people. You may be seated. You want to hear an interesting fact? Do you know that the early followers of Jesus did not call themselves Christians? Did you know that? They didn't originate that term. The word Christian means little Christ. And so, and so really that term came from outsiders, people who were observing followers of Jesus, and they used the term Christian as a derogatory term. It was, a, it was really a term of derision, if you will. And what they would say is they would say things like, look at, look at those followers of Jesus. They think they're little Christs. And it was a derogatory term. 
In fact, it's not until Acts chapter 11 that Christians started actually referring to themselves as Christians. Now, the question is, before that, what did they call themselves? Well, this is where it really gets interesting. The word that they used to describe themselves was the word disciple. They actually referred to themselves as disciples of Jesus. And you know what? I'd like to submit to us today that we change the terminology a little bit. And instead of calling ourselves Christians, we need to start calling ourselves disciples. In fact, I'm instituting that even right now as I speak. No, I'm just kidding. But, but it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Isn't the word disciple more clarifying than even the word Christian about what a follower of Jesus is all about? Isn't it? Wouldn't you say that? I would say it, certainly. That the word disciple makes it clearer, makes it terrifyingly clearer about what it means to be Jesus than the word Christian. It really does. Let's go a step further with it. Do you know that the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament? The word disciple is used 281 times. Isn't that interesting? And so, and so what we see is this incredible clarity about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I think to get a picture of this, we need to, to kind of get a little bit of background information. And, th and this totally is going to help us understand the passage a little bit that we just read. Now, let me just kind of set it up saying this. There's a, there's a book called In the Dust of the Rabbi. And it's by a guy named Ray, Ray Vanderland. And he describes this, uh, this disciple-rabbi um, relationship, you know, in Jesus' day, in Jesus' culture. And it's interesting because what he says is this. You know, when Hebrew boys went to school back then in Jesus' day, they would start attending school at age five. And do you know what the public school curriculum was in Israel in Jesus' day? It was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So as a five-year-old Hebrew boy, he would start school at age five. He would go to age 10. And by, the, by age 10, he would have Torah mastered. He would know Torah very well. But Ray Vanderland talks about there was a weeding out process at age 10. And what they did is they, they you know, average kids and below, they took them out of school and directed them towards their fathers so that they would learn to, you know, learn a trade. They would start apprenticing with their fathers at age 10. If they were a fisherman or a carpenter or a stone cutter or something, they would start, you know, getting ready to start earning a living at age 10. But the best and the brightest, the rest were invited to continue on in kind of secondary school, if you will. And what they would learn in secondary school is Joshua all the way to Malachi. They would learn the rest of the Old Testament. So by age 17, these kids had mastered the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament. Now, if... if uh, if they wanted to continue in their religious studies at age 17, they would have to take a huge step and find a rabbi who would teach them and train them. And there was kind of an application process, for lack of a better term. And these rabbis were highly selective because they wanted, they really wanted the best and the brightest candidates to, to you know, if they're going to invest all of this time in them, they, they wanted the, the best that they could find. And so what would happen is these, you know, these uh, these Talmuds, these disciples of the rabbi would devote themselves, would sit 
under the teaching of these rabbis and just absorb. And then the rabbi would question them to find out if they've mastered everything that they learned. And so it's just kind of fascinating because, you know, little boys in Israel back then, they didn't aspire to be the next LeBron James or the next YouTube sensation. They wanted to be a rabbi. They wanted to grow up to be a rabbi. Now, there are a couple of other thoughts about this that I think are kind of pertinent to what we're looking at. And it's this, that, that you know, the rabbis were very selective, as I mentioned, because, you know, the candidates that they were discipling were going to be representing them once they had graduated. So it was real important to pick the right person. And one of the highest compliments you could receive as a disciple is someone would say to you that you are covered in the dust of the rabbi. Now, that didn't mean you needed a shower. Everybody needed a shower back then, all right? But it did mean that you were, you were very astute. You were a very uh, devoted learner from your rabbi. So much so that you followed him so closely that the dust from his feet landed on you. One other kind of fun fact as you think about this, because they refer to Jesus as a rabbi over and over again in the, in the New Testament. But what other fun fact about this is Jesus is not your ordinary rabbi, I mean, that kind of goes without saying, right? I mean, he's, at eight, he's age 12 and, you know, Mary and Joseph have left Jerusalem. They're heading back up to Galilee and they traveled in big crowds and they, they got a few miles away and they look around. They're like, where's Jesus? You know, he's not here. They're like, we lost him. So they, they kind of head back in a, you know, frantic, frantically head back to Jerusalem. And you know where they find Jesus? They find him in the temple and he is questioning and answering. And it says the scribes and the teachers of the law were blown away at his wisdom and insight, even at age 12. Not only that, but wherever he taught, he was such an interesting speaker that the crowds were delighted and amazed because he spoke with authority, the scripture says. And not only that, I mean, obviously he wasn't a normal rabbi because he could act like raise the dead and heal the sick. So that was, that's on a whole nother level. But, but that gives us a little bit of background into this whole, you know, discipling relationship. Jesus is not your ordinary rabbi. And so the picture that we have that Matthew gives us is he's walking on the Sea of Galilee and he calls four of these men, four of these guys to follow him He's the rabbi. They're going to be the disciples, the Talmud. They're going to follow him. And what Matthew tells us is they do. They absolutely do. And I think what we see in this passage are four discoveries about discipleship that are absolutely essential for you, for you and for me. All right. And I want to share the, the four of them with you. Here's, here's the first one. You know, the, the first discovery of discipleship that we see just right from this text is that discipleship is, is really for the willing. It's not for the elite. It's for the willing. It's not for the elite. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Go, go down and look at, look at verse 20. Jesus says, then follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Now, think about what's happening here. They, they're fishing. He calls them. They drop their nets and follow them. What does that tell you about, you know, James and John, Peter and Andrew? What does that tell you about them in light of what I just said? These guys are second string. These guys are junior varsity. They didn't get invited to continue in their religious studies. They got cut from the roster. 
at age 10. And they said, you need to go hang out with your dad. He's a fisherman. You need to go learn how to fish. And that's exactly where they go. Jesus, it's interesting here. Jesus is not recruiting a roster of five-star recruits. He's, he, he really isn't. He's looking for average guys who, get this, are willing to follow him. Isn't that fascinating? And I, I, just, I just think it's kind of interesting because it says something about the kind of people that Jesus wants to use. And he's really after people who are willing, but not elite. He's not looking for the most talented. He's not looking for the most theologically trained. He's not even looking for the most religious. He's not even looking for the most gifted. You know who he's looking for? He's looking for someone who's willing to follow him. Who's willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And I just find that interesting. Notice what Pastor John MacArthur says about this very point. He says this, God skipped all of the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the the historian, Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar, the great ruler. He chose men so ordinary, he says, it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts, not even a synagogue ruler. Half were fishermen. One was essentially an IRS agent and the other a former terrorist. You know what the principle is here? That if God has a choice between the weak and the strong, he's going to go with the weak every single time. That if God has a choice between the unimpressive and the impressive, you know he's going with? He's going with the unimpressive. If God has a choice between the willing and the elite, he's, he's going to say no to the elite. and He's going with the willing. Think about it, church. Why, why does it seem like that's the pattern God uses? Because our talent and our knowledge and our religious duties and our influence, maybe sometimes our money actually hinder the work of God then further it. You know why? Because we never learn to rely on God. We're relying on ourselves. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here is he's not going with the five-star recruits because, it's, because it's, really, it's really down to this. Discipleship is not about what we do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus can do through us. That's what discipleship is. And there has to be a point in time where you say, dear Christian, Yes, Lord, I will follow you. And the question is, have you said that? And are you following Jesus? Are you willing to follow him? That's the question. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell's written a book called David and Goliath. I, I've not read this book. He's, he's a very entertaining writer. And I think he recently even became a Christian. Uh, but he talks about, he talks about uh, just the high-level entrepreneurs and leaders in our society today and kind of what makes them tick. And he talks about a, a survey that, that somebody did of, you know, of a few hundred of those kind of type people. And uh, they're just high achievers, very successful, you know. And uh, they surveyed them and asked them, they, they asked them kind of the, basically the question, what kind of, did you have some kind of obstacle growing up that was very difficult for you to deal with, you know, like a learning disorder or some kind of family situation or physical issue or something. And he said, he said, over half of them said, yes, we did. 
And Malcolm Gladwell talks about in the book, he says, you know what, you can go a couple of different directions with that. One direction you could say is these people were so extraordinary that they just overcame any difficulty. Or you could go the other way and say it was the difficulties in their life that, that taught them and changed them which led to their success. You know, when I was thinking about this, immediately I, my thoughts were, went to, you know, Pastor Woody Church, my father-in-law who passed away this past November. He started this church and, and God just greatly used him in an amazing way. And many of you know him and, and, or knew him and you knew that, you know, he had, he was in kidney failure. He had heart issues. He, he was a very brittle diabetic for most of his life. And I remember, you know, especially when I was younger in ministry, I used to think to myself, you know, if God, if he didn't have to deal with all this physical stuff, imagine what he could do in the kingdom of God. And it would be like, God, why? Why, why are you allowing him to go through this? And it's, it's just, I've, you know, in recent years where I've really come to see that it, it's, it's, it's really, you know, maybe the reason why God used him so much was because he had so much adversity to overcome, that that's how he learned to rely on God. And so, and so what Woody was willing to say is, God, whatever condition I'm in, whatever I'm going through, yes, Lord, I'm willing to follow you. Just use me however you want to. And I think the, the point that I'm trying to make for all of us is maybe what you and I need to do is we need to realize that God wants to use you in your family, at work, and in your school, and you, and you need to stop making excuses that you're not usable. You know, God is not looking for your ability. He's looking for your willingness. We're dealing with God. And so if you're willing to be usable, he can use you to turn the world upside down. And so I think discipleship is about the willing. But I think there's another part that we see in this, and that is this. That secondly, discipleship is primarily about being with Jesus. That's what discipleship really is. It's, it's really primarily about hanging with Jesus. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 20 again. So he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they, they left their nets and they followed him. All right, now... You know, if it was me on, that, on the shore that day, I would have said, Jesus, all right, tell me where we're going. I want to know the itinerary. I want to know all the things we're going to be. We're going to be preaching and teaching and caring for people and helping the poor. We're going to be raising the dead. When are we doing that on the schedule, Jesus? I want to know. And, and, you know, Jesus doesn't say that. He just says, come hang with me. Just come be with me. Come hang out with me. And that stuff will take care of itself. And I think it tells us something about the nature of discipleship, that the nature of discipleship is primarily about being with Jesus, spending time alone with God, being with him, praying and being in his word. Because, because it's, it's, it's not primarily doing, it's primarily being. Now, now listen to me, don't hear what I'm not saying. There is a doing part to discipleship, but the doing flows out of the being. You're never going to do it if you haven't been with Jesus. Does that make sense? And so, and so the being comes first. And, and so Jesus just calls it, come hang. Let's go, guys. Let's just go hang out. And that's, that is what they do. And I think what happens is, you know, as you spend time with God in his word and in his prayer, as you spend time, you become like him. It's like, you know, 
whoever your friends are, I, you know, I can look at your friends and I can tell that there's a connection because you become like who you hang out with. Over time, you become like who you hang out with. And I'm just telling you, you hang out with Jesus, you're gonna become like Jesus. Now, it doesn't happen overnight, but you're gonna be, you're gonna be like him. And you see this in Acts 4.13. This is one of my favorite verses. And so this is about Peter and John in the book of Acts. So Luke writes, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, you see how bold they are? Now, they weren't always bold, but they're bold now. Why? Well, uh, they saw Peter, the boldness of Peter and John. They perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were average people. They didn't make the age 10 cut, you know, and they were astonished. Why were they astonished? Well, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. These religious people, these religious Jews that had killed Jesus, they had dealt with Jesus so much, they got rid of Jesus. Now they're dealing with his apostles and his apostles are just like Jesus. That's what he's saying. Now, I think really that one of the reasons why so many of us lack the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, one of the reasons why we're not really sharing our faith, why we're so worried about what other people think is very simply, we're just not spending time with Jesus. We don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. We've not plugged in to get charged up. And so, and so we're just not spending time alone with God. And maybe, maybe one practical hindrance is we're just so busy on Facebook, we don't have time to get into God's book. You guys know what I'm saying on that? We spend so much time on our smartphones, on social media. We're so dialed in to what everybody's saying and what everybody's, what everybody's posting that we forget about what God is doing. And so, and so maybe we need to spend a little bit less time, you know, on social media and a little bit more time on God's media, on God's wavelength. Now, I was sharing with First Church about this, or First Service about this, and uh, there was an article I was reading. It's a guy, an author by the name of Charles Tu, I'd never heard of him before, but he, he wrote an interesting kind of dialogue, and he was talking about, um, you know, reading books. And, you know, he said, you know, you, you can read all you need is 417 hours to read 200 books, all right? You're like, oh, great. I don't even have one hour, you know? Uh, and I, I totally get that. But, um, and that's, they must be little books because I don't read very fast if that's the math there. But, but he actually does all the math for you and he works this out. And uh, he says, you, you really could read 200 books in 417 hours. So let's just, let's just play with that number, right? Let's just say, Let's just cut it in half. Let's just go, we could read 100 books in 417 hours. That's more like my speed anyway. He says, most people just, just repel at that. They, they're just, they just like, I don't want to do that. I don't have time to do that. And what he, the point of the article, and he's not even a Christian, is you have more time than you think. Because what he says is, he says the average American spends 608 hours just on social media. And then he says you spent about six hundred, you know, sixteen hundred and forty-two hours just watching TV. So that's about twenty-two hundred and fifty hours, just kind of junk time. And if you want to read, you know, one hundred books, just carve out four hundred hours there. We have more time than we think. The question is this: How do you want to invest your time? And I think what these disciples are saying is, we're going to invest it with Jesus. Doesn't mean you have to invest all of it, but, but it does mean this, that you take advantage. You're going to make time for what you want to do. You know, there, uh, 
you know, you're never going to know Jesus more than you know his word. And, and, um, and so we have a lot of ways that you can plug in this year in 2019 to know his word. We want to challenge you to get into a D group, a discipleship group, which is a group of anywhere from six to 14 people that are committed to growing together in their relationship with God. And they meet, you know, most every week or maybe every other week or something like that. And the goal is to grow like Jesus. I want to challenge you to get into that. Uh, we also have what we call the Stones Bible Institute. We call it the Institute uh, where we offer classes every, every semester. And this semester, this coming semester, we're offering a class in the Psalms. We're offering a class in financial peace, uh, which is like, what, what does the Bible say about managing my money? And then we're offering a class in basic kind of apologetics, which is a really great class. You want to know Jesus, you need to get in one of those classes. You need to grow. You know, um, one, one thing I really want to encourage you to consider is we, we're here at the beginning of the year. You know, you're thinking about your goals or your New Year's resolutions, and they're already broken by now. I totally get that. But, um, but it's not too late to just start reading the Scripture daily. And we even have Bible reading plans at the information counter you can just pick up and take home with you. We've got a beginner one, a medium one, and, and then, you know, kind of a Bible scholar level one if you really want to invest the time. I encourage you to do that. Why would you not do that? You have the time. Invest it. Let this be the year of spiritual growth. You know, a lot of men say to me, they say, Scott, I just don't read. I, I just don't like to read. I don't have time to read. I'm gone at seven. I'm back at seven. You know, I've got the kids and all this stuff. You know, there's a new app called Dwell. And it's an app on your phone and it reads the Bible to you. And it has Bible reading plans. So if you've got a 20-minute commute, you can, read, you, you can have the app read to you two chapters a day. And you can pick any Bible, any book of the Bible that you want. And so a lot of times I use it when I go to sleep, you know, just dial up a psalm and it reads it to me. And, and so I'm filling my mind with the word of God. You're never going to know Jesus more than you know his word. Because here's the thing. God has revealed himself through his word. If you don't know his word... You don't know Jesus. So, so discipleship is primarily about being with Jesus. But there's a third, there's a third discovery that we make, and it's this one. Discipleship isn't easy. Have you noticed that? Uh, discipleship isn't easy. You know, it's an interesting thing, but salvation is free. You know, our salvation is a gift from God. We, we didn't earn it. We didn't achieve it. We didn't accomplish it. It was a free gift from God. God gave it to us. And so, but discipleship is different. Discipleship is active. It's a following after Jesus. And so what happens at salvation is God gives you saving faith. He gives you faith and that faith at the moment of salvation, whether you remember that day or not or whatever, you know, at the moment of salvation, that faith is passive because it's a gift from God. He gives it to you. He opens your eyes to his goodness and grace, but that faith can't stay passive. It's got to turn active. It's got to turn active. And it turns active through discipleship. Let, let me just show you this. Just take Jesus' word for it. Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, he's talking about if anybody's gonna be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So what he's saying is discipleship is consisting of three things. Denying yourself, taking up your cross 
in following me. He doesn't say anything, church, about if you follow me, you can live your best life now. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, if you follow me, then I'll let you do you. You just do you. Yeah. He doesn't say that. You know, some preachers will tell you, hey, if you follow Jesus, uh, he'll make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. He doesn't say that. You know what he says? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's what a disciple does. You don't believe me? Look at verse 22, Matthew 4. Let me just show it to you. All right, so he calls James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they're out there fishing as well because they didn't make the cut. They're on the B team. Um, And then immediately, notice their response. Notice their response. Immediately, they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, my question is this. Why did Matthew include those two details? They left the boat and the father. Why? Is it just fodder for the story? Is he just throwing it in just to give you some details? No. Do you know what what the boat and the father represent? The boat is their livelihood. The boat is how he supported their family. And you know what the father, Mr. Zebedee, you know what he represented? The most important relationships in James and John's life. And and basically what he's saying is he's saying this. If I'm going to be a disciple, Jesus is more important than my career and the most important relationships in my life. That's what he's saying. That's discipleship. Jesus is Lord of all. And discipleship is recognizing his lordship and bowing before it. That's what it is. And so you just think about this. Think about how this applies. Let's just get really practical with it. A teenage Muslim girl in some Middle Eastern country, she hears the gospel and she receives it. You know what's going to happen to her? If she doesn't die for for converting to the faith, she's going to be absolutely cut off from her family forever. If she accepts Christ and become a Christian, would you do that? What if God, what if God called you to be a missionary today? Leave your job, pick up your family, move and go to the land that I'll tell you, would you go? What if some of you are students, some of, you, some of your friends in your friend circle, they found out you were a Christian and they started making fun of you. Would you deny Jesus or would you take a stand for him? That's a big question, isn't it? You know, you think about this and the biggest area of discipleship is just the area of finances. Just putting God first in how I spend my money and how I, you know, invest my money. It's, that's just the biggest thing. It just, it just means following Jesus means Jesus is Lord of all of my life. And I mess up and I get back there. And I mess up again and I get back there. And then I start figuring it out and I don't mess up as much. You know what I mean? Like I'm growing. That's, that's discipleship. And so I think a lot of us want to just say, well, you know, I accepted Christ. I prayed the prayer, you know, back in eighth grade at camp and I don't really want to be a disciple. That's for the Navy SEAL Christians. That's really for that, you know what I mean? Uh, but I accepted Christ. I've got my fire insurance. I, fire insurance. I don't want to be a disciple. Well, church, that's a very dangerous, you're on, it's a very dangerous place because basically what you're saying is, I want heaven, but I don't want Jesus now. 
so that when you die, you may not get heaven and you may not get Jesus. And if your faith, church, listen to me. If your faith doesn't lead to action, you got to go back to the faith and say, do I really believe? That's what you got to do. Because the Christian life, is, it's an initial step of faith, but it is a holding on. It is a pursuing and a persevering. It is continuing on. It's not just, well, I prayed a prayer and I came forward and knelt. No, it's not looking back. It's looking forward and it's looking to now. Does that make sense? And so all of that to say, it's not easy. I'm not here telling you it's easy. I'm not here preaching rainbows and unicorns to you. I'm just here saying This is what discipleship is. And the good news is there's joy in it. Let me give you one more. Discipleship is a call to reproduce spiritually. It's a call to reproduce spiritually. Go back and look at verse 19. Let me just show you this because this is really cool. Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. In other words, as you, as a disciple, follow me, other people are going to come to me because you follow me. And so we are called, church, to reproduce spiritually. It's not, it's not just for a select few of people, like for pastors and elder types to kind of go out and do all the fishing and bringing in. No, it's all of us. It's all of us. And so we're called to do that. Let, let me just show you John chapter 15. How do you know you're a disciple? Jesus answers this, by this, my father is glorified. So he's glorified as you follow Jesus in discipleship. That what? That you bear much fruit and you prove to be my disciples. So a lot of people can claim, well, I'm a disciple. The real proof in the pudding is where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? And so that's, that's really what it is to be a disciple. It's, it's a call to reproduce spiritually in the life of someone else. You see it easily in Matthew 28. Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Church, that's your job. It's my job is to equip you for your job. That's my job is to equip you to do Matthew 28, to reproduce spiritually. So what he says is make disciples. How do we make disciples? By going by teaching all that he commanded and then baptizing. We get to celebrate at, baptize, you know, at baptism. That's what it is. And so that's, that's, that's the heart of what, what is going on in here. In other words, another way of saying it is this. You are God's method. You are God's method. It's, it's, not, it's not something. It's someone. It's a group of someone's. I think about two people that had a huge impact in my life. My youth pastor when I was in high school discipled me. I wouldn't be here today if it were not for him. Just that simple. And then I had another guy, Chris, in college. He was, he was in grad school. I was in college. He invested in me spiritually um, and was really like, um, you know, he was my mentor, my discipler. And I think a lot of us, we think about, what do you mean by just spiritually reproduce? Well, what it means is it means you're discipling someone. It means you're kind of the rabbi. And now there's dust under your feet that's spreading to someone else. Does that make sense? Think about this. Who are one or two people that have had the biggest impact in your life spiritually? Who are they? Think about that. 
they were your rabbi. Because what, what do rabbis do? What, 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 do uh, what does a discipler do? They just help you follow Jesus. Who is that for you? Who has been that for you? And here's the big question. Who are you discipling now? We talked a lot in 2018 about invite your one. You know, I'm going to push you to disciple your one this year, to invest in them. And they can be not a non-Christian. They can be a Christian. They can be a returner. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they are. They can be a Patriots fan for all I care. You know, you can just disciple them however you want to. But that's what you're called to be and to do. And those are the four, that's what discipleship is all about. And church, here's the thing. This is what God has called us to be and to do. That discipleship is about willingness, not, not being great, you know, elite. That discipleship is primarily about being with Jesus. That discipleship is not easy. That's certainly not easy. And then lastly, that, that discipleship is a, is a call to reproduce ourselves. Now you're like, well, what does this have to do with Vision Sunday. Well, it has everything to do with Vision Sunday and it's really simple. Can I, here's the vision that I, we have for 2019. We would like, it's our prayer, it's our dream, it's our hope, it's our desire. We want all of you to take one step this year in discipleship, just one step. We want you to be covered in the dust of the rabbi Jesus. And it's our challenge for you, wherever you are, to take one step. You know, when you sat down, there should have been a card in your seat that looks just like this. I want you to grab it real fast. I want to explain it to you. Um, on, the, on one side, it says the pathway. And um, you see our website there. You can go on our website and kind of help you through this next steps. But turn it over. And you see the words on the left-hand side, belong, become, and beyond. That's our vision. I've already explained that. In the middle column, it kind of talks about or describes each of the B words. So like belong is attending and connecting. We really want you to attend. Uh, but attending is not connecting. You can attend all you want and not be connected. And a lot of people do that. But you can't get connected unless you attend. So it's, it's two sides of the same coin. We want you to be here. And, and what we're seeing in church in, in the United States is attendance all over the United States is going down because people are so busy chasing lesser visions. We want you to chase the right vision. So how do you, how do, you do that? It's attending and connecting. We, uh, we do it through Sunday morning services, obviously. Um, we're launching, this is brand new for 2019. Uh, Ariel Elridge, our connections director, has developed the Be the Church workshops. This is really cool because what this is, this is a, a series of four workshops that we're going to offer at different times of the year to help you get connected and to help you take a step. And we're going to offer them on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. in the house. And you can sign up for one workshop or all four, or you can repeat the course three times, however you want it. It doesn't matter to me. But, but that's, it's, it's like for people, I want to get connected. I want to take a step. And that's what these workshops help you to do. And you'll get to meet, meet some new friends as you do it. Uh, but then in the connecting part, you notice membership. Some of you are not members. You need to make that commitment. Why would you not want to be a member of the bride of Christ? What, what excuse do you have? You need to take that step and sign up. Some of you need to be baptized. We need to go forward with our faith and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. The grace of God has worked in my life. I'm proclaiming that to the community here. 
uh, and then men's and women's groups. We have a very strong women's ministry, and for 2019, we're really excited because we're going to be spending a lot of time relaunching our men's ministry. We're going to we we're so excited because our prayer is to help men grow and get connected. So we're going we're gonna to pour a lot of time and resources into that this year. So we're really on the ground level for that. So we're not ready to kind of share anything at this point. But, but just be on the lookout because we'll be, we'll be making some traction uh, just in the next several weeks and next couple of months. But then, but then you move from belong to become. And becomes like growing. And, and so I've already talked about D groups and the Stones Bible Institute. You can sign up even today to jump into one of those. And then going beyond. That's about serving and evangelizing and leading. And the way that we do this, we want to challenge all of you to volunteer. We want to challenge all of you to invite a friend. We want to challenge all of you to, to, to serve locally and to serve globally. You know, maybe you need to think about a mission trip in 2019. Maybe you need to go to go to El Salvador. El Salvador. We're doing a, a, a trip this summer, and uh, there's an informational meeting coming up. You need to go. You need to be a part of that. Leadership Lab is another initiative that we're launching in 2019, and leadership is all about just helping disciples use their influence for the glory and the building of the kingdom of God. A lot of people think that leadership is standing up in front of a group of people and talking. That's uh, that's not that's not really leadership. Leadership is just influence. And you all have influence. So what we want to do is cultivate your influence. So Leadership Lab is a once a month environment where we just teach what it means to be a Christ-centered, godly leader and how to use your gifts to influence others. And you could be a stay-at-home mom. You could be a CEO. You could be a school teacher. Um, you could be a bald-headed preacher just like me. I mean, anybody's welcome. You could be anybody's welcome to come. Now, here's the thing. Why do I share all this with you? Here's the thing. I want you to ask the question, where, I'm, where am I and what step do I need to take? I want you to take one step this year. And if you're willing to take that step today, whatever it is, if it's women's, men's, D groups, volunteering, uh, you know, leadership lab, we have all the information you need at the information counter. I want to release you so that you can go grab that information and start your journey of the next step. You know what our prayer is? that we would be a really dusty church. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just the simplicity of your word and what it means to follow you. Lord, I pray that as a congregation uh, that we would be covered uh, by the dust of your feet, that we are so devoted to you so close to you. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we've got it all together, but it means we are pursuing you, that we want you, that we long for you. God, thank you that joy is always the fruit of that. Thank you that grace is always a part of that. And I just ask that you would speak to us as a congregation individually. Where do you want us to grow in 2019? God, this would be an amazing place if every single one of us, by your grace, took one step this year, that would be amazing. Would you do that among us? Would you help us to see the fruit of that, to hear the stories of the fruit of that? Would you do that in us today? And so we thank you and praise you. And all of God's people said, amen. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.